Our final speaker of the day is Dr. Jenny Holman. She's a dermatologist in group practice in Tyler, Texas. She attended the University of Oklahoma and did her residency training at the University of Missouri. She spends her time in clinical, surgical, and cosmetic dermatology. When she's not working, she spends her time with her husband, an ER physician, and her three children. Uh, she'll be discussing the basics from 3.30 to 4.30, and then a closer look uh, in dermoscopy. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Holman. Well, thank you guys. I know it's tough at the end of the day to stay awake, but hopefully you've had some caffeine from next door and you're ready to go. So we're going to talk about dermoscopy. And dermoscopy is something that really only about 20% of practicing dermatologists use. I use it all the time. I'm one of those that has my dermatoscope in my pocket. I've got one in every coat at you know each office that we go to because I'm almost handicapped without it. And so my best advice to you, if this is something that you're interested in doing, get a dermatoscope and just start using it. Start looking at everything, and that's the best way really to practice this. So today, if you're using a dermatoscope already really regularly, this may be a little bit basic for you, but sometimes it's good just to reinforce those basics, just to know when you start looking at lesions with a dermatoscope, where do you go from there? So mainly you just heard all this. I'm a big Sooner fan. We have season tickets forever at Oklahoma there. And um, I was in Columbia, Missouri. I'm in a group practice in Tyler, Texas, probably pretty similar to what most of you guys are working with. I'm just in a group of 10 of us. It's a private practice. I'm not doing a lot of academics. And so when I speak to you about dermoscopy, it's not because I'm doing a lot of dermatoscope research or developing dermatoscopes. I'm somebody who on a daily basis is practicing dermatology and using it. And this is my real job, and so for those of you who have kids, um, at the end of the day, you know, your real work day starts at about 5 o'clock when you get home, and so these are the loves of my life, my two, four, and six-year-old. Okay, so here we go. Our goals today, we're going to define what dermoscopy is, talk about how you use it, recognize the basics. I'm not going to get super in-depth today. We're going to go with really basic things, things that you can walk away and remember. We're going to look at melanoma. That's the main thing that we use dermoscopy for, the first thing you think about with dermoscopy. And then other common lesions, because I look at just about everything with my dermatoscope, and it's really helpful not just for pigmented lesions. And then the next hour is going to be dermoscopy, a closer look, where I'm going to build on what we talk about this hour, and it's going to be really interactive with some challenges, kind of asking you to start judging some of these lesions. I'd like to thank Dermoscopy Atlas and then Dermnet and Z.org. They've both been gracious enough to allow me to use a lot of their pictures. Um, those are both great websites, especially that Dermnet and Z.org. If you're ever talking to patients and need to show them photographs of the condition or things like that, that's a really good clinical tool to use. Plus, if you're refreshing your memory on something, somebody comes in with a diagnosis you're not quite familiar with, or you don't remember so much about, that's a great just quick bullet reference to go to. And Dermoscopy Atlas, if you leave here and you're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard, they've got lots and lots more of dermatoscopic images and lots more detail on the different patterns of dermoscopy. Okay, so let me say this about dermoscopy. First pants, then your shoes. First of all, we're clinicians, and so you still use your clinical judgment. That's still the most important part. Your dermatoscope is never gonna completely change your mind about something. If you look at something and you've got a history, the patient says, this has been changing over the last six months, and you look at it and you're like, eh, you still go by history. And clinically, if you look at something and you say, it needs a biopsy, 
your dermatoscopic image is just a secondary tool. First and foremost, we're clinicians, and I'm just asking you to consider using this as a secondary tool to help you make better decisions, to make your, you know, your more sensitive and more specific when you use dermoscopy. But still, first pants, then your shoes. So what is dermoscopy? It's also called epiluminescence microscopy or dermatoscopy. Um, and all it is is looking at skin lesions with a dermatoscope. And I'll show you pictures of several in a minute. The primary purpose is to differentiate between benign and malignant lesions. So when you get to something and you say, oh, I'm on the fence, is this something I should biopsy? Is this something I should monitor? This is a great tool to help you make that decision. This is the one that I trained on in residency, and this is an easy thing to start with. This is an oil immersion dermatoscope. I don't recommend this if you're really trying to use, to get into using dermoscopy, simply because it's kind of cumbersome. So we had one, and it screws onto the head of like your ophthalmoscope or your otoscope, and you have to walk out of the room, you've got to get mineral oil, you have to put mineral oil on the patient or on the dermatoscope, and you have to put the dermatoscope on there, and then you have to clean the mineral oil off the patient, unless you have a nurse who's kind enough to do that for you. So it gets a little messy, and it gets a little cumbersome. That being said, there are some benefits to oil immersion dermoscopy, but if you're starting out, you almost need something quicker. Otherwise, you're going to go, eh, it's too much trouble to go out and to get the oil and clean up the patient and to do all those things. But this is kind of your classic first dermatoscope. And if you do have ophthalmoscopes and otoscopes, you can buy a head to screw on there that is a dermatoscope. These are the ones that I use. In about 2001, 3Gen revolutionized dermoscopy because they took away the oil part. And so they use polarized light. There's benefits, again, to oil versus polarized light, but it does a really good job. And like you see there, she's pushing the button on that one there on the left. You pull it out, you look. You look, you look. And it's very easy, it's not messy, and it's something very easy to incorporate into your practice. There's several that you can attach to um, a camera, and that's really helpful if you want to monitor a lesion. If you're on the fence and you decide you want to monitor it, if you have the ability to incorporate photos into your electronic record, especially dermatoscopic photos, that's an easy way to monitor some of these pigmented lesions. And I'll tell you the other thing. Patients think it's really cool when you pull out the light. It takes a little bit more time. Oh. Did I go away? Okay. It takes a little bit more time sometimes to do that, but I've had patients call my office. There's 10 of us, and one of us uses a dermatoscope. That would be me. But I've had patients call the office and say, we want to see the doctor that uses the light because they think it's really fancy that I'm doing something really exciting other than magnifying their skin lesions. But patients like it. They feel like you've taken an extra step that you're doing something really special. And it is a helpful tool, but they, they like it. And then the photography, it's a great monitoring tool. And then, yes, there's an app for that. Um, there's several smartphone dermatoscopes. The easiest ones are like this one here on the bottom, where it's just an attachment and you can screw on your dermatoscope. That's mainly just to record images. This one here is a little bit more cumbersome. It's actually a dermatoscope that has an app you open, and it uses your iPhone camera to become the dermatoscope. It's pretty pricey as well. Um, and again, you have to open your your smartphone, unlock your phone, open the app, wait for the app to warm up. So it does take a little bit more time. If you're like me, I'm kind of all about going through my clinic and being efficient as I go through clinic. This is something that's really big in uh, Australia and in Europe is dermatoscopic mapping. And this is actually a dermatoscope here. It's a video dermatoscope. 
teledermatology as well is a little bit bigger overseas than it is here, and that's a big thing for rural clinics when they're seeing patients. A lot of times they'll use these to transmit dermatoscopic images via teledermatology, but this is another way to do serial mapping, and it's a little bit bigger, again, overseas than it is here. This was about the only female picture. Most of the pictures of it are men in Speedos, so it lets you know it's more of an overseas kind of thing. The mole map clinics, this is something kind of cool. It's very big in Australia, and they do three things. Dermoscopy, serial monitoring, which I just talked about, and then total body photography. And it's something that's done by technicians. There's five clinics in the States, but it goes to a big central database. And in Australia, they've got 40 there, and so it's very easy. You go in, it's $350 out of pocket. They do all this, but they photograph all of your moles, and then they, go, they get sent to, there's a group of like 10 dermatologists, which sounds like being a radiologist almost, that you sit there and you look at these images and then they call the primary care physician and say, image number 123 needs to be biopsied, those kind of things. So kind of a neat thing. It'll be interesting to see with the changes in medicine if this is something that keeps growing in the States or not. These are the dermatoscopes that I personally own and have used. My favorite being these two, simply because of the ease of use. And then this is just the attachment. It's like $35 that you stick on your phone if you want to record images. I can email images from my phone to our IT folks and they'll put them in a chart for me. Okay, so history if you're a history nerd like me. In 1663, Cole Haas put somebody's um, hand under a microscope and that was, he's called the father then because he was the first one to put somebody's hand under a microscope to magnify. He was using it to do capillary nail folds. And then the oil immersion, the key here, I'm not gonna get into all the physics, but it has to do with reflection and optical density. When you add oil, it's canceling out your skin surface reflection so you can actually see a lot more of the structures in a lesion. And then, um, I forget when that was, I think it was in like the 1920s that we added a built-in light source. In the 50s, Goldman turned the, coined the term dermoscopy, and this is where our current dermoscopy really started because it was mainly used to monitor pigmented lesions, and then again, I said in about 2001, the transition has been to um, polarized light, and now dermoscopy is becoming a lot more frequently used. So what do we use it for? The big thing is melanoma diagnosis, or judging if you should biopsy something if you think it's a melanoma, to monitor lesions like I talked about earlier. If you're diagnosing pubic lice with it, I suggest you wash your dermatoscope after each use. Um, wart diagnosis is kind of a cool thing too because you can look at something, especially those warts that come in and you're going, eh, do I treat it one more time or do I say it's gone? You can look and if you can identify some of those little kind of pinpoint blood vessels there in the center of a lesion, you can say, uh, I'm going to freeze it one more time rather than three months later they come back and it's all back there. I don't use it a lot on hair, but there's a lot of articles about differentiating alopecia areata from black dot tinea capitis. Um, surgical margin determination, I'm usually using a Woods lamp there as well, but there are some articles on um, determining the borders of Bowen's disease or lentigo maligna with a dermatoscope. Another thing, there's several newer articles really just in the last two years on this is differentiating inflammatory lesions with your dermatoscope. So, psoriasis, lichen planus, PR, those kind of things. I'm not quite that savvy yet on it, but um, there are some newer kind of applications for that as well. But primarily, we're gonna talk about kind of the meat and potatoes of how you would use your dermatoscope. So why use it? There was one study that showed in dermatologists who were trained in dermoscopy, their sensitivity went up 20% and their specificity went up 
10% in that. And there was also a study just released, I guess, last month where they took a group of 145 medical students, they gave them a lecture on skin pathology, and then half of them also got a lecture on dermoscopy, and that group was significantly better at diagnosing which lesions. They were given them like 20 images, and they were significantly better at diagnosing what should be biopsied and what should not. So here's the basics. The first question I want you to ask yourself with any lesion you look at in clinic or with any lesion that I'm going to show you today is, is it melanocytic or not? I'm not saying is it pigmented or not because we have lots of pigmented non-melanocytic lesions, a pigmented basal cell, pigmented SKs, those kind of things. So is it melanocytic or not? And you say, well, I don't know. How do I know? Well, there's three basic things that I want you to look for. Pigment network is the first thing. Dots and globules of pigment is the second thing. Streaks kind of falls under that as well. And then a lot of melanocytics are going to have these bluish amorphous areas, and that's usually when your pigment is sitting farther down into the dermis. So let's start with pigment network. And this sometimes is the hardest thing if you're not doing dermoscopy to start to wrap your head around. And my suggestion to you is if you look at a lesion and you say, I can't tell if that's a pigmented lesion or if that's a melanocytic lesion or not. Probably treat it like it is, and if it's still suspicious, you still biopsy it. But it should, you should, as you get better at using this, be able to differentiate the two. And so here you can kind of appreciate that. At the periphery of that lesion, you can see it's almost like a lattice-like structure, and that correlates to the REIT ridges and the papillary dermis where that pigment is sitting. And so that's something that you're looking for. It's the hallmark of your melanocytic lesion is a network. And I'll tell you, especially in atypical or malignant lesions, it's not going to be a homogenous finding. You may have one localized area with a network that says, that makes you think, oh, that is melanocytic, especially in amelanotic melanomas. A lot of times you will find a little area of pigment that you may not be able to see clinically and it will help you decide. Because if you're one that biopsies and sees in D, C and Ds at the time of biopsy, it'll you know, hopefully help you from doing that on a melanotic melanoma. So this is another pigment network. There's a lot of different patterns. I'm not gonna get into the details. There are books written on the different patterns there. Dermoscopy.org has a great, um, about 25 page chapter on all the different patterns of pigment networks. And so if that's your thing, knock yourself out. It's a great um, article for those of, those, those of you who are interested. Okay, so I want to show you because the best way to decide is looking at lesions. One of these lesions has a network, one has pigment, but not a network. And so I'll give you a second to kind of appreciate that. One's a benign compound nevus, one is a pigmented basal cell. But if you can appreciate there at the periphery of this lesion that's on your left, can you guys see that? That you've got, you can appreciate that little grid there. And then in your pigmented basal cell, obviously, yes, there's pigment there, but it's not organized in any kind of network fashion. So, yes or no? Would you say that this has a pigment network? Yes, very good. You're going to notice these larger holes in the network. Those are not regression structures. That's not a finding of anything atypical. It's a glitch in the matrix, as you might say but these are just sometimes follicular ostea or things like that, but regular holes inside your network are okay. Pigment network, okay, good, nobody yelled out. That's a good thing because this one's tricky. When you're looking at pigmented lesions on the face, sometimes it's very difficult to differentiate because you see all of these follicular ostea. And so a lot of times on the face, you're going, 
I don't know if that's you know, melanocytic or if it's not, but you call this a pseudo network, and that becomes really important when you're looking at lentigo malignant, which we'll get into later, but this is technically a pigment network, it's a pseudo network. Okay, that one's pretty straightforward, pigment network. Yes, and so very well organized, that lattice-like appearance, this is an ink spot lentigo. Okay, so again, look at your whole picture. Would you say that this has a pigment network? Even in areas? The answer is yes on that. You can kind of appreciate some of those lines there at the periphery. It's an atypical one, but you do have evidence that looking at this, you should say, yes, this is a melanocytic lesion. There's evidence, albeit irregular, there's a network. And again, is it melanocytic or not? Hopefully you're gonna say yes, but especially at that superior portion there, and I'm sorry, I'm not pointing at this screen as well, but especially at that superior portion there, you can appreciate that there is evidence of a network. Dots and globules is your next finding. And these dots and globules are more regularly arranged, like that pigmented basal cell I showed you earlier. It was just kind of these random smudges and blotches there. This is a benign compound nevus. It's this cobblestoning pattern of pigment. So while you may not say there's really no network there, this is a melanocytic lesion. So side by side, one has dots and globules, one has smudges of pigment. So hopefully sometimes when you look next to each other, they're easier to see. And so these are both, your answer is yes, these are both melanocytic on these, but you can pick out very fine in there some dots, and same thing at the periphery here, there's some globules in that, some fine dots up there, and then the larger, the difference between dots and globules, globules are larger than dots. Really fancy stuff there. Okay, so all three of these, again, I'm helping you out here with your answer, all three of these are yes, melanocytic, and especially in that central lesion, you can appreciate that pigment network as well. But here in that top lesion, you've got some globules of pigment. and that central lesion, you could find spots you could call dots and globules. And there, down at the base, there's definitely some big globules of pigment. Okay, so to compare that slide with this slide. These are three pigmented lesions, but they're not melanocytic. And again, if you're looking at a lesion in clinic, and you're like, I don't know and you think it needs a biopsy, you still biopsy it. First your pants, then your shoes. But again, these are all three basal cell carcinomas, and while a couple of them have pigment in it, it's more of that irregular smudged pigment. And so it's tough when you start to differentiate this, but I want you to know what to start looking for. So would you say this is a dot or a globule? I probably wouldn't. Um, it's a really big globule, I suppose. But this is that third characteristic or hallmark of a melanocytic lesion that I was talking about. When your pigment is sitting really deep there, it's gonna look bluish there. And that's just a classic blue nevus, and this is what we would call an amorphous area. And so it's just a big old kind of mirror or just glob of pigment, but that's because it's sitting deep. And clinically, if you look at something like that, you know, clinically you're going, eh, I don't know, is it just a blue nevus? That's great when you magnify it and it's just this one amorphous blue dot. I'll tell you that a graphite tattoo looks exactly the same under a dermatoscope. And so the answer is no, a graphite tattoo is not melanocytic, but under the, the dermatoscope it looks the same. So these are two lesions with amorphous areas. That's a blue nevus. This is actually a solar lentigo. And so you would say, yes, it has amorphous areas, and really that's an overproduction of melanin as opposed to an increased you know, production of melanocytes. 
But in solar lentigos, you're going to have kind of the scalloped, or they call it a moth-eaten edged as well. But that's also evidence where you see some amorphous areas. So I want you to appreciate with both of these, and I'll tell you again, your first question, is this melanocytic or not? And I still want you to keep asking yourself that as we go through these, and I'm showing you different lesions, because you can't judge a lesion you know, on benign or malignant criteria until you've made that first answer. Is it melanocytic or not? The answer on both of these is yes, and I hope you can appreciate that because while they both have amorphous areas that I'm trying to illustrate, especially this lesion here on the left, you can absolutely see that there's evidence of a pigment network there at the periphery. And same with the other one, at that inferior border, there's some pigment network there as well. But when a lesion becomes irregular or, ma or malignant, you start to get these amorphous areas. But when you think about that histologically, that makes sense that you're not gonna follow a regular pattern. So again, let's use those three clues. Is this melanocytic? Yes, very clear on this one. You've got evidence of a pigment network. You've also got some obvious globules of pigment there. You can see a few holes in that network like I was talking about. Is this melanocytic? Yes. So again, your whole lesion does not need to have a pigment network. It can be at one portion of the lesion. This is benign. It's just sometimes you see nevi that have this kind of fried egg appearance, but all of that periphery, you can appreciate that network. Is it melanocytic? Yes, it is. This is, again is just another compound nevus or unas nevus as some folks call them. One of the kind of creepy things about dermoscopy is they call this the wobble sign that when you put your dermatoscope on it and you can wobble it. That's evidence usually of a benign nevus. I usually try not to wobble, but you can appreciate the pigment network there. This is just a benign nevus. Is it melanocytic? You might be inclined to initially say, oh yeah, dots and globules, it's totally melanocytic. It's not. Look at what your dots and globules are composed of. And here they're vascular. And so you wouldn't judge this by the same criteria that you would a melanocytic lesion because it's not melanocytic. This is actually a hemangioma. And clinically, you know, you would probably already have that in your mind, but it's good to look at these things and to see what they look like because when you get things you're not sure about, the more you've looked at, the easier those decisions are to make. This one's a little tougher. Is it melanocytic? And it's tough. You say it looks kind of like that compound nevus before. If you said yes, if you said no, it wouldn't hurt my feelings because clinically you would know it's an SK. And so, but there's no, compared to that other one earlier, there's no evidence really of a network around it. And when we learn some hallmarks of SKs, you'll get this. But I just wanted you to see, you don't see that same bleeding pigment that you did in the other. Is this one melanocytic or not? The answer is yes. And if you're not sure, that's great. Most of you guys aren't using your dermatoscope all the time. And the goal is that by the end of the today that you can answer these questions more effectively. But this is another blue nevus. You've got that nice homogeneous pigment deep down. Most of the time, folks are gonna say, I've had that my whole life. And you can just smile and say, great, you're reassured by what you see under the dermatoscope. So comparing side by side. From a distance, the shape and the symmetry of these lesions is pretty similar but hopefully you can identify. One has dots and globules, but are they dots and globules of pigment? No, they're kind of what we call lacunae, and so it's all this aggregated vascular stuff. And the other one has that great 
network of that ink spot lentigo that we saw earlier. And so side by side, it's easy, I think, to differentiate which is which. So again, you could say, that's a really cute family picture, and then all of a sudden you go, wait, are you like standing three feet from a male lion? And so the key with this is, when we're looking at these lesions, I want you to look at the whole picture when you're trying to decide, is it melanocytic or not? And the story on that is I have a sister-in-law who's a zookeeper in Oklahoma City, and so she took us back to feed the bears and the lions. But look at the whole picture. So when you get to this slide, these look really similar initially. One of them has some pigment network around the periphery, and one is an SK. And so hopefully you guys can appreciate, looking at the two, I'll give you another second, that that lesion on the right has got some evidence of a pigment network. But congenital nevi and seborrheic keratoses, and you guys know this too, that you can glance at something and think, oh, that's an SK. And say, I've had that for 40 years, and then, you know, maybe in congenital nevus. Most of the time, clinically, that doesn't make a difference for you, but sometimes academically, if it's of interest. This one's a tougher one. I just put it in there mainly because I think it's interesting. Um, history is still really important on these lesions, like I said. You know, you're a clinician first. And so this is a benign, just that cobblestone pattern, congenital nevus there. The other is a seborrheic keratosis in a patient who's just used tanning cream. And so take your history because under your dermatoscope, and somebody, I had somebody who came in one day and she had this, all of her moles just looked horrible horrible on her legs. They have these big, black, irregular areas. But I started noticing every single one looked that way. And I said, have you had laser hair removal? Oh, yeah, I had it last week. And so things like that. Take a history. If you look at something and you think it looks funny and maybe their skin's a little orange, ask those questions because lasers will make things look different under your dermatoscope and certainly tanning cream will as well. And maybe you guys practice where tans aren't such a big deal, but I'm in Texas, and it's a big deal. Big hair and your tan. Okay, so the next step. You first decided, is it melanocytic or not? And that's always your first step. Your next question is, is it benign? Is it suspicious? Is it malignant? And that helps you decide, do you biopsy it? Do you monitor it? What do you do? So the first thing is color. And this is the same thing that you're using clinically. Your ABCDs of melanoma, you're using that with your dermatoscope as well. Sometimes you can appreciate all the different colors better with your dermatoscope. These are just a bunch of different lesions with different colors I just put up to appreciate some of the different things that you can see, the different colors. But with color, if you've got one homogeneous color, just like clinically when you're looking at a lesion, if you've got one color that's gonna tend, make you tend to think that this lesion is benign. And so all four of these are benign, and they've pretty much got one color. This one has a few kind of aggregated globules there in the bottom corner, but that it's just very homogeneous, and so you would lean more towards benign there. Symmetry, and so just like when you're looking, you know, is it asymmetric, is it not? Again, with your dermatoscope, sometimes that helps you appreciate that as well. So here, all of these lesions have more than one color in them, and so, one of the first things that we're about to start talking about is when you have multiple colors within a lesion, it makes you think more towards the atypical or malignant end of the spectrum. But even if you have more than one color and these lesions are very, very symmetric, you know this clinically. You can see lesions all the time that have more than one color, but they're totally benign. All of these lesions have more than one color that you can appreciate that symmetry there. They're all benign lesions. 
Okay, so your first question, kind of given away by putting benign melanocytic there, but is it melanocytic? You still need to ask yourself that question first and foremost, and I think it's pretty obvious that it is there with that network, but it's pretty symmetric there. This is a mildly atypical nevus, and so that's one that you'd have in your suspicious category, and you'd have to make the call clinically. Do you biopsy it, or do you monitor it? This one gets more into the severely dysplastic melanocytic lesions because you've got several different colors there, and I'm just talking on like your clinical things that you're already looking at in a lesion. But with your dermatoscope, all of a sudden you may not have appreciated this faint area of regression here, these increased globules here. So there's, you know, there's some asymmetry in that network there in that pattern, and there's more colors than maybe what you would have realized just with your magnifying light or your bright room and your naked eye. So hopefully we've gone from like mildly atypical, more severely atypical, to please biopsy me. Um, but hopefully you can appreciate there. We've got lots of colors, lots of asymmetry there in the pattern. This is a melanoma. But um, just looking at those, kind of that gradient. If all you're looking at is colors and the symmetry, this one should really make you pick up your biopsy tool. So dermoscopy and melanoma, this is the primary use of your dermatoscope. There are so many articles and so many methods that you can use. Fortunately for you guys, we're gonna focus on the three-point rule, which is the simplest out of all of them, and it's a good starting place. It's a little bit more sensitive than some of the others, so you may biopsy unnecessarily if you're really using this, but I'll tell you, with all of these methods, and there's the seven-point rule, when you get into some of the other ones, they're like 13 to 20 you know, points or steps that you can do. I have never once in my clinic pulled out a worksheet and looked at them all and checked and then added up my points and let that make me decide if I biopsy a lesion or not. These are mainly tools to help you know characteristics of melanoma. And so some folks, it's more in academics, they will grade lesions just like that. And if on the seven you get a four, absolutely you get a biopsy. Really, I want you guys just to appreciate the high points of these methods so you can realize the structures and characteristics of malignant lesions. So the three-point method we are gonna use today, and this is kind of what I just hit on. The three things that you're gonna get, and kind of the rule with the three-point method if you're gonna be hardcore about it, is if you get two points, you definitely get a biopsy. So asymmetry of color, asymmetry of pattern, and then blue or white structures within the lesion. And again, you can't grade a hemangioma on this. You only grade melanocytic lesions on this. Because like with that hemangioma I, saw, the hemangioma I showed you earlier, you say, wow, that's got some asymmetric color and pattern, but you're not judging it on this. It doesn't need a biopsy, it's not melanocytic. So this is strictly for melanocytic lesions. And again, if you're not sure, then err on the side of judging it with these criteria, and if it needs a biopsy, it needs a biopsy. So let's start there, and I want you guys, so our three things, asymmetry of color, asymmetry of pattern, and then blue or white structures. And again, if we get a two, we're gonna do a biopsy. And so based on kind of the textbook stuff, this would get a one. It's got some asymmetry of color, but really it's got a pretty homogenous pattern throughout there. When you look, those holes are just holes in the network. Some of you might say, oh, I would've given that a two, but it's, it's a benign nevus. There is a little bit of asymmetry of color there, but it might be one that you choose to monitor based on that asymmetry of color. And if you're erring on bi biopsying too much, that's okay. If you're not biopsying benign things, 
you're not biopsying enough because your suspicion, if everything you biopsy is a melanoma, you're missing a lot of melanomas that are out there. So three-point method. Are we going to use it? No, we're not going to use it. It's not a melanocytic lesion, and so you can just chuckle and say, I'm not using my three-point method on this one. But no, it would get a zero if you did, but you're not going to. Okay, three-point method here. Asymmetry of color, asymmetry of pattern, and blue-white structures. I'd probably give this one a zero. It's pretty regular. I mean, you may have a little bit of difference in your color, but I'd probably give this one a zero. It's very benign appearing, and clinically, it might even be one that you don't pull out your dermatoscope and look at. Here's where history is important. So number one, is it melanocytic? Yes, your answer should be yes. And here earlier when I mentioned dots and globules, I also mentioned that streaks, sometimes when those globules are a little bit stretched out, streaks, that kind of counts with the dots and globules. But yes, this is melanocytic. But we all know histologically, clinically, and now under the dramatoscope, recurrent nevi look really scary. Now in this case, would I still biopsy that? Absolutely I would. I wouldn't just chalk that up to being recurrent there because I don't know if you've had it happen to you before, but I've had folks say, oh, that was just a benign mold they cut out, and then I biopsied it, telling my pathologist, excuse me, telling my pathologist that it's recurrent. She's like, nope, fish studies are positive. That's a melanoma. And so it's happened. If you see something like that, err on the side of safety. But it is important if you guys, I'm blessed to have my pathologist in-house. We have two derm paths that are in practice with us. But it's very important anytime you biopsy recurrent nevus, and you guys know this, to let your pathologist know that it's a recurrent nevus. Because for some reason, if they don't appreciate the scar tissue, or if your biopsy doesn't catch enough of that scar tissue, automatically it's going to be atypical. So three point. Number one, is it melanocytic? You're going to get so tired of hearing me say that. Um, asymmetry of color, asymmetry of pattern, blue or white structures. You might give it a one because of that kind of whitish area in the center there, but a lot of you have seen this type of nevus clinically. You can imagine what that looks like, a flatter component with a raised component centrally, but it's relatively homogenous both in color and in pattern. Okay, first question. If I took away that upper portion, your answer on is it melanocytic would probably be, no, I don't think so. But here's one of those melanomas that's probably on its way to an amelanotic melanoma. But when you look at it with your dermatoscope, you can say, absolutely, that's a melanocytic lesion because you appreciate that you've got part of the lesion with a pigment network, but this is all part of that same clinical lesion. So is there asymmetry of color? You betcha. Asymmetry of pattern? Yeah, I mean, the whole lesion is asymmetric. And then you definitely have those blue-white areas. You can almost appreciate kind of a gray there, but certainly you can appreciate those white areas. This is a melanoma in situ. Okay. So this is one of those that I was talking about. Your first question before you judge it on your three-point method. Is it melanocytic? And if you're not using your dermatoscope regularly, your answer is probably going to be, I'm not really sure. And if you're not really sure, then go ahead and grade it like you would a melanocytic lesion. So is there asymmetry of color? Of course. Is there asymmetry of pattern? Yes. Are there blue-white areas? Absolutely. It gets a three, gets biopsied, and it should. It's a pigmented basal cell. It should get biopsied. But my hope would be is that you can start to recognize that this is not 
this is more of that irregular. Pigment in basal cells have a very specific look. I will tell you this though, clinically, just how I practice and everybody practices differently. Um, occasionally for folks, we have lots of rural patients, and if you guys are in big, um, bigger areas where most of your patients live close by, this may not be such an issue. But I have patients that are driving two hours to get to my office, and so a lot of them say, ah, doc, just scrape it off while you do that. If I've got pigment in a lesion, I usually don't, you know, just because I want to be 100% sure with my pathology. Now, clinically, I know it's probably a pigment in basal cell, and I try to counsel the patient that way, but personally, I just don't want to see and that melanoma. And so if there's pigment, I usually wait on pathology before I treat. Is it melanocytic? Yes, I think you can get that one. Asymmetry of color? Yes, you get one point. Asymmetry of pattern? Absolutely, and blue-white areas. Yes, you get a three, it gets a biopsy, good for you. You caught a melanoma. Okay. So again, sometimes you know what you're looking at. You can use your dermatoscope, but don't let it sway you clinically. If you know you're looking at something, if it's a mammoth, you're probably, you know, you know it's a mammoth. So here, this is three examples of lesions that if you look at them clinically, you're going, oh, those are just SKs. This one's an irritated SK. But you look at them and you go, wow, there's some asymmetry of color in these lesions. They're, you know, that pattern's a little irregular. This one maybe has kind of a whitish area there. So if it's a mammoth, it's a mammoth. If you're not sure and the patient's not sure about it, it may get a biopsy. But my hope is, is that, you know, even further into this talk, you're gonna to start to recognize that if you're not sure, if you can appreciate some characteristics of other benign lesions, then that will help you out. But again, clinically, most of the time, you know what an SK looks like. I mentioned the seven point method just because I think it's got some really good things to know about melanoma that you don't get in that three point method. That is a very, very basic starting point. The seven point method, um, you get two points for the major criteria, which are similar to the last one. Your irregular pigment network, the blue-white, which were two from the last time that we had, and then the third in this one is irregular vascularity. And so you get two points for each of those, and I think if you get a four, then you get a biopsy. Um, the minor criteria, these are the things that I don't necessarily want you counting up and grading every lesion you see, but they're good things to know, and I want to point some of these out to you in lesions. Irregular dots and globules, and I've showed you some regular ones. Irregular dots and globules, irregular streaks, irregular blotches, or regression structures. And you guys are already appreciating these in the slides that I've already showed you. But just to have those in your mind when you magnify a lesion, you go, oh, wow, there's a lot of irregular streaks, things like that. Those are some minor criteria to keep in mind. Okay, so if we were going to do the seven-point method, if you really just wanted to, two points for irregular pigment network, I think we get that. Two points for blue-white area, so it already gets a biopsy. You don't have to keep grading, but we will. Um, irregular vascularity, I don't really appreciate so much of that. Some of you guys may have better eyes than I do, but I don't see it so much, and I'll show you some evidence of that in just a minute. I don't appreciate that so much there, but you've got some minor criteria too. You can maybe appreciate a little irregular streaking there, some dots and globules scattered back, uh, about, and this is regression. When they're talking about those blue-white areas, especially in um, that amel, or not, it wasn't amelanotic, but in that melanoma I showed you a few minutes ago where most of it had lost its pigment. We know clinically that's a lot of times due to regression there. And so you can appreciate in some of these areas where it's totally lost that network, that's evidence of regression. And that is one of the hallmarks of melanoma. 
Okay. Is it melanocytic? Your first question. Hopefully you say yes. Especially, I don't see so much of a network, but like I said, a lot of times that gets distorted. But you see some regular pigmented dots and globules and streaks there as well. And so you should say, yes, this is melanocytic, so let's grade it. If you're using the seven-point irregular pigment network, heck yeah. Blue-gray areas, absolutely. But here you can appreciate some of that irregular vascularity. And we all know an ulcerated melanoma is not good news, but this right here is an early area of ulceration starting up there. And that's what an ulcer or kind of a traumatized area is gonna look like under your dermatoscope. And then you've got lots of the minor criteria. You've got some irregular dots and globules, some irregular streaking, probably some areas of regression as well. And you're like, seriously, are we gonna keep doing this? Yes, absolutely, because until you keep doing it, you don't learn it. So if you're using that seven point, well, first of all, is it melanocytic? Yes. Irregular pigment network? Yes. Blue-gray areas? Absolutely. It's a little heavy. I can't appreciate any increased vascularity or irregular vascularity, but I like this here. This is a great evidence of those irregular streaks. And I'll tell you, like in a Spitz nevus, sometimes you'll get that starburst streaking all around it as well, those irregular streaks. But a lot of times your history is important there as well. And you've got some dots and globules up there. This is another melanoma. Okay, if you say, no, this is not melanocytic, I think it's really important to know the characteristics or the hallmarks of benign and malignant non-melanocytic lesions because I use my dermatoscope a lot of times for lesions that I know clinically are not melanocytic. It helps me differentiate. So the things that briefly we're gonna to touch on are SKs, basal cells, and we'll hit dermatofibromas in the next lecture. So SKs, um, there's not really a true network or true globules of pigment. Absolutely, you can have pigment in an SK. We all know that. The milia-like cysts, which you'll appreciate, but you've seen those in the SKs that I've shown you before in this lecture. Fat fingers, which my husband cracked up at that one. He's like, fat fingers. But really all that talks about is a cerebriform or a brain-like surface on this lesion. Fissures and ridges. These are things that you already see clinically inside these crusty SKs. Then sometimes you'll see some blue-gray dots as well. Both of these are seborrheic keratoses. And what I want you to appreciate here are those milia-like cysts. Or and you know, histologically, those are gonna correlate to those comedo-like openings there. But these are both SKs. And in this one on the right, you know, if all you had was that dermatoscopic image, you might say, I'm a little concerned about that lesion. But it's reassuring when you see those milia-like cysts. Now, that being said, can malignant lesions have milia-like cysts in them? Absolutely, they, they can. I've had cystic basal cells, all kinds of different things. But when you see several of those regular in there, it might lean you in the other direction. But that's a hallmark of a seborrheic keratosis. So one of these has milia-like cysts and the other does not. And I'm just wanting you to appreciate the difference here. This one on the left, that's an SK. It's got lots of those milia-like cysts. This one on the right is sebaceous hyperplasia. We'll get into that in just a minute. But the difference is you've just got this conglomeration there, that sebaceous tissue, as opposed to those milia-like cysts. There's the fat fingers or the cerebriform surface that we were talking about. You don't see any of those milia-like cysts in this lesion, but you've got that very regular brain-like surface, and that's that cerebriform surface that sometimes you'll see 
and an SK. And when you think about it, you guys are looking at enough backs of old women and men that you see both of these clinically. You see the ones that you can see those milia-like cysts in with your naked eye, and you see this cerebriform surface. There's yours with the tanning cream from earlier, but hopefully now you can appreciate there that brain-like cerebriform surface. So yes, it's got the tanning cream there, but I put it back up just to say, you really can see that surface or those fat fingers magnified there. So one of these is a benign nevus and one has that cerebriform surface. Both benign, I don't necessarily think that you're looking to decide if you need to biopsy these lesions, but like I said, it's good to look at things because the more normal you look at, the better you are at recognizing abnormal. So on the left, you've got a dermal nevus and on the right, you've got an SK. This is one of those good, crusty ones that somebody lifts up their back and they say, all my family's worried about this spot here. But under the dermatoscope, of course, you see those same ridges or fissures that you see clinically. Basal cell carcinoma. I love my dermatoscope for basal cell carcinomas, differentiating it from benign lesions. I can tell you more than once I've looked at a lesion, I've said, is it an AK? I mean, helping me decide, do I freeze a lesion? Do I biopsy it? And if you see some of these characteristics in a lesion, you know, it's not just melanocytic lesions. I use it a lot on basal cells as well. And so we're gonna look there. There's an absence of a pigment network. The arborizing telangiectasias is one of the biggest things that you're gonna to start to see clinically. Get a dermatoscope, look at your basal cells, just look at stuff and you'll start to recognize these things. The leaf-like areas, I'll show you several of those. Initially, it's a little hard to appreciate, but you'll start appreciating it, especially in those pigmented basal cells. And it's something that might lean you towards, okay, I don't need to counsel this patient for melanoma just yet. This is probably just a pigmented basal cell. The blue-gray nestor globules, I showed you lots of those blue-gray smudges and spoke wheel areas. So here's that arborizing telangiectasias. So you can appreciate that within that lesion, you've got these irregularly branching telangiectasias. Now it's really important to differentiate between within the lesion and your periphery because where are most of our basal cells arising on photodamaged skin? And we all know that you get a lot of irregular vasculature and telangiectasias in sun-damaged skin. So differentiating between what's in the lesion and what is just the surrounding skin. But here you can appreciate that. Those are great branching telangiectasias there. And this is just a good old classic nodular basal cell. So I put these two next to each other. One is benign and one has those arborizing telangiectasias. This is a dermatofibroma, but here hopefully you can appreciate the difference between those irregular arborizing telangiectasias and then that more kind of regular hemosiderin network around the periphery there. Okay, my first glance at this one, I wouldn't even think about it. I would biopsy it. I'd be worried about a melanoma. But when you get into it, I think it's tough on this one to say if that's just a really smudged out pigment network around the periphery. But histologically, I know that it's a pigmented basal cell. But if you made the error, said it was a melanocytic and you thought it was a melanoma, what did you do? You biopsied it. You still took care of the patient. But here you can appreciate those leaf-like areas. It's this nice kind of scalloped edge around the periphery, and that's a hallmark of a basal cell. Clinically, we see lots of basal cells that are ulcerated, and then you've also got those irregular kind of nests of pigment there as well. The telangiectasias are a little hard to appreciate, I think probably because it's so heavily pigmented. So again, this is where you don't start looking at everything with your dermatoscope that you know is benign and go, actually, 
I think that person's got like a little group of basal cells on their forehead. These are flatworts, and they do have that nice leaf-like appearance around the periphery. So does this one, but it's a solitary lesion, and you've also got arborizing telangiectasias in there. So hopefully you would lean more towards biopsying the lesion on the right and treating the flatworts on the left. But just to show you, other things can have that leaf-like area around the periphery, but again, this is when your clinical kind of comes into play. That's another evidence of the blue-gray areas that I mentioned earlier. Okay, so one of these is a pigmented basal cell, and one is a melanoma. Clinically, you're going to biopsy them both. But I think from what we've talked about, you can appreciate which one of these, and not just the kind of photodamaged skin behind it, has a pigment network associated with it. And for that one, you're going to say, okay, asymmetry of color, asymmetry of pattern, blue-gray areas, they both get a biopsy. But the lesion on the right is your melanoma, and hopefully at the periphery there, you can appreciate there's a little bit more evidence of a pigment network. That's a really scary pigmented basal cell, by the way. And vascular lesions. I've showed you guys a few of these so far. But the hallmark of angiomas are these red, kind of blue-red lacunae. And a lot of times, you guys know this, you'll have this really deep purple you know, spot that comes in and a patient is really concerned about, I've got a new black spot. But when you use your dermatoscope, which they think is really great that you took the time to lean down and to magnify that spot, you'll see this hallmark of these vascular lacunae and it lets you know and you can reassure the patient, absolutely, that's an angioma. And so both of these are vascular. One's got a little bit more of that purplish tint to it and a lot of times those tend to be the ones that worry patients more. But I think you guys can appreciate the difference between these globules here and the globules of pigment that we saw earlier. This is hemorrhage. I put that in there to show you. Um, this is what that lady's moles all looked like or her nevi on her legs looked like after she had had laser hair removal. But a lot of times, you know, somebody says, I've got a black spot on the side of my foot or on my arm. You can differentiate between hemorrhage into the epidermis of the dermis and true pigment. Okay, which we're close here. I've kind of sped through that, but my brain is full on that. So let me do some time for questions, um, and then the next one's going to be a little bit longer because I'm going to give you guys some time. I really want you to start using these tools that I've given you, but let's take some time for questions, especially about, I know 3Gen is here, and I went by to check. They've got really good pricing for you guys on some dermatoscopes. And going back to the beginning, even if you just get, it's a long way to go back, but um, even if you just get that one that you saw, that you just push the button on the side and you magnify, I can't emphasize enough, keeping it with you, keeping it in your pocket. Um, Kurt Gaudier, which a lot of you guys know, he's RPA in our practice and he's also one of my really good friends. And it's kind of a joke that he'll walk out and I'll just say, you need my light, don't you? He'll say, yes, I need your light. So if you guys are friends with Kirk on Facebook, I officially gave him a shout out, so you can tell them that I did. But um, you've got to have it and use it, because like I said, the more normal that you look at, the easier it's going to start for you to use this as an effective tool in your practice, just as an adjunct. So what questions do you guys have? And then we'll give you a few minutes to stretch, and then we'll get into kind of where you're really testing yourself. In your note, oh, I. Oh. Sorry. 
In your note, do you describe the lesion with your naked eye and then what you saw in the dermatoscope, and do you increase your billing for each patient because you use the dermoscopy? I said I increase my billing? No, I don't increase my billing at all. It doesn't change how I bill at all, because I can't bill. There's really no procedure involved with dermoscopy. That being said, in the UK and in Australia, they do increase their billing with um, some of the total body photography and the mole mapping and things like that. And in the States, the places that do that, they're relatively expensive because a lot of times insurance does not pay for those things at all. I don't have total body, excuse me, I don't have total body photography or mole mapping at my practice, and so certainly it's not something that I bill for. But no, dermoscopy, that would be like a cardiologist billing for listening with a stethoscope. For me, it's just an extension of my eye. I'm just using it to magnify, but it's nothing that changes my billing. And in your note, do you describe both visible as well as what you saw underneath the scope, or is just the scope enough? In my clinical note, yeah. sometimes, yes. It's not very helpful for the other folks in my practice if I do that, because nobody else uses dermoscopy. Um, but what I'll do usually is I'll take a photo. To me, that's easier than describing what I see in my note under the dermatoscope. Um, I will say sometimes in a note, dermatoscopically appears very benign or appears very regular. But again, I think with derm, just like everything else, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so if clinically you don't see change, but under the dermatoscope, you see a big change in three to six months, depending on how closely you're monitoring your atypical nevi patients. The other thing that I didn't say, too, is the ugly duckling sign is huge with this. Because if you take a patient who has atypical nevus syndrome and you're using your dermatoscope on 100 nevi on their back, you could get really scared. And if you put one of those in front of one of those board of 10 dermatologists that all they do is look at those kind of things, that might say biopsy. But then they're going to have 100 that they need to biopsy. We know with those folks, the ugly duckling sign is important, that when you have a lesion that deviates from that patient's normal. So you have to keep that in mind, because otherwise you're really going to freak yourself out on those atypical nevus patients if you're using that. You're like, that needs a biopsy, and that, and that, and that, and that. And so just that ugly duckling sign, both clinically and dermatoscopically, is very important as well. Does that answer that? Anybody else? Questions? Go ahead. Sorry. That's okay. You just answered my question. It's what to do with these atypical Nevi syndromes because the dermatoscope makes them all look terrible. Well, I think that, you know, these are the patients that sometimes we lay awake at night and think about. And it depends on the patient. I just monitor them more closely. Some of my patients I have in every four months, every six months, but I do take photos both of dermatoscopic images and of clinical images. It drives my nurses crazy sometimes because I will have 20 photos from a visit, but that's why I have an electronic record that I can do that and that three to six months later I can pull up those pictures and use my dermatoscope. And so yes, you have to continue to use your clinical judgment because if you've not seen one yet, you will. That you'll have that patient that comes in with a hundred scars on their back because they've seen somebody who's biopsied every mild to moderate atypical nevus on their back. And so you've got to take what the patient's norm is, you know, and use some clinical judgment there. Yes, sir. Does it aid uh, dermatopathologists at all when you describe the dermoscopy characteristics? I'm sorry, I don't um, when you're describing a lesion for a dermatopathologist, uh, does it help them at all by using dermoscopy characteristics? You know, I honestly, have no, I mean, I've showed my derm path guy some photos and I'll say, uh, you're about to see this one, I'll show him a dermatoscopic image. And he knows enough to say, oh, that's a bad one, you know, that kind of thing. But no, I never put it really in my pathology or things like that. Because a lot of times, you know, 
dermoscopy is almost a step between naked eye and pathology. And especially that's kind of interesting when you get into some of these inflammatory disorders that when you're looking at psoriasis, you appreciate all those pinpoint vasculature that you see there. You're looking at lichen planus and you see those kind of things. And so histologically, you're just seeing evidence of what you do under the dermatoscope. So I haven't put it on my pathrex yet. I've showed a few pictures, but that's just because I'm right next to my derm path folks all the time. Sorry, anybody else? Okay, so take a minute, kind of stretch out there. And this is gonna be, I'll actually give you some time because if you can, I want you to use that scratch paper in front of you and kind of say what you would do clinically with these lesions. And I try to make this really interactive. There's some fun stuff too. I know it's towards the end of the day and the strip is beckoning, but we can make it through one more lecture. All right, so take a second and then we'll get started.